Welcome, listeners, to the third season of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and your podcast host. Tune in and join me as I chat with authors writing cozy and traditional mysteries. You won't find explicit violence, sex, or gore. You will find intricate plots, engaging characters, and brilliant writing. Thanks for listening. Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. I'm Alexia Gordon, author and host of the podcast. My guest today is Amanda Flower, author of Farm to Trouble, the first farm to table mystery. Welcome, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, as I mentioned, Farm to Trouble is the first novel in a brand new series. So would you please tell us about your story? Um, it is set in Western Michigan, um, near Traverse City, and in, it's in Cherry Country. So I have um, a family farm that is kind of in financial ruin. And the daughter of the farmer, who is a producer in L.A., uh, decides to come back to Michigan to save the family farm. Uh, she makes kind of a poor decision uh, by uh, going into business with a shady investor to help her finance the farm's revival. And he shows up dead at the local farmer's market. And she, as a result, is a prime suspect. Uh, and her father, who really detested this investor, is also a prime suspect. So as amateur sleuth books go, she has to get involved in order to keep them both out of prison. It's always a good reason to get involved. Right. <laughs> now, foodie listeners are probably familiar with the From the Table movement. But for those of us who might be unfamiliar with it, would you please explain what it's about and what inspired you to use it as a basis for your new series? Yeah, so the farm to table movement is uh, restaurants and farms and also small local markets and things like that um, are making partnerships in order to know where their produce, uh, meat and other foods come from. And so they, you know, sell directly from farms and in some parts of the movement not all of it uh it's organic farming so they know that there's no pesticides or herbicides um in the food or fertilizers and things like that so um i think as people worry more about their health and are more aware of what um they're eating it's becoming more and more popular now, another thing that's popular is uh, farmer's markets, which you, you mentioned. Um, you don't usually find dead bodies at them, but you can find lots of, of good right. fresh farm food. So what are, what are some of your favorite farmer's markets? Um, I love farmer's markets, and uh, I write a lot of almond mysteries as well. Um, so I go there. I live in Ohio, so I live close to Amish country, so I go there pretty often. Uh, there's a Hartville market um, kind of just at the beginning of Amish country, and it's massively huge. There's like 300 vendors there on market days. Um, so that was kind of the inspiration for the market um, in Cherry Glen, the name of the town in this book. 
And then in my own little town, um, we have a farmer's market. uh, And it's really fun to go to because it's, you know, the farmers in the area. And there's also people in the area that bake goods and things. Now this year, because of the pandemic, they didn't have it this summer, just for safety reasons. But um, I'm hoping it'll be back next summer. Too. Um, I'm, I'm actually in Newport, Rhode Island, and they they did manage to have their much smaller farmers market here with um, you know, some outdoors and uh, social distancing and masking precautions. So there's yeah, there's, there's hope. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you you set your mystery in the small town of Cherry Glen, Michigan, which is very different from Detroit or even Mackinac Island, which is what many of us think about when we think Michigan. So how do you how do you bring your town to life for readers who don't think of a farming town as typical Michigan and, and may not automatically picture that in their minds? Yeah, um, a lot of Western Michigan is rural. So um, I think because uh, I'm from Ohio and Ohio is similar in that regard because we have big cities like Cleveland and Cincinnati Um but a good chunk of the state is rural. So it doesn't take much of a car drive to get like pretty far out into the country, into farm country. Um, So Michigan's not that different. And Michigan's a state because it's a neighbor state to mine that I visit very often. And last October, um, my husband and I went there for vacation, particularly because I wanted to set uh, this series in Western Michigan. And the reason I picked it mostly was because I love um, the the lakes and the the national um, lakeshore there. The um, Sleeping Bear Dunes uh, is in that area as well. So it's it's a very beautiful area. Um, so that's why I was inspired to set it there. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Now, your, your protagonist, Shiloh, wants to turn the family farm into a certified organic farm. Now, you kind of alluded to this before, but how does an organic farm differ from a traditional farm? Yeah, so an organic farm um, doesn't use pesticides or herbicides um, on their fields and things like that. And um, they don't use, uh, preservatives, uh, on their produce. So, you know, when you go to the grocery store and you buy organic, uh, you know, apples, and then you buy apples that aren't certified organic and you've brought them home and left them on your kitchen counter for a week, the organic ones would go bad much more quickly because they don't have, um, the protectives to keep them, you know, red and fresh um but at the same time there's no chemicals on them so that you know that's important to a lot of people not to be ingesting things like that um but to be certified organic it's a very long process and you know each state has its its own rules for it so she's in this book is thinking about it and the next book she's you know, starting that process. But I think it's going to be a few books just to be realistic about how long it takes that she's actually going to get the, you know, the rubber stamp. (laughs) (laughs) You also talk about another kind of farming in your book, wind farming. So what is a wind farm? Yeah, so wind farm uh, is those big turbines that you may see in different parts of the country. Um, 
I have family in Iowa, so they're very popular in the plain states because the you know the wind just rushes across those that open flat land and they go up hundreds of feet in the air the turbines are the um propellers are hundreds of feet across and it's a green way to produce energy so it's a wonderful way to produce energy however um as the book says it's, it's also controversial um, because of the impact on birds during migration. So there's laws in place that there's certain places that wind turbines can't be based on migration of songbirds and other birds. Um, but that seems to be, um, as I allude to in the book, a, a moving target as both sides are lobbying against having, you know, the the company, energy companies want their turbines where they can get the most wind and the bird people are worried about uh, birds and if they're going to get hurt by the turbine. So everything's got a little controversy behind it. Yeah. <laughs> now your, your bio states that you're starting your, or I started by this point, uh, your own organic farm. So uh, what inspired you to do that? And how'd you transition from library science and crime fiction to farming? <laughs> Well, I, <laughs> it's a, it's kind of a funny st story. It's mostly because of, well, it is because of my husband. So when I met him, uh, he had, um, a couple years before I met him, bought a farm. He's a, a recording engineer. Um, and his plan, which we're actually doing right now is, uh, he's building a recording studio out there. So it's a, it's a good tranquil place for someone to go out and create music. Um, but at the same time, we have quite a few acres. So I just thought it would be, I have always loved to garden. I have a huge garden at my house and I was like, well, you know, this, we either kind of just let it go wild or we can do something with it. And it, it's, um, half of the property is forested. So we're going to leave it and let it, you know, do its natural thing in the woods, but where it was plowed when it was actual working farm, uh, we're going to, we're working on turning it to organic farm, but just like Shiloh, it's going to take, <laughs> it's going to take a few years to get to that level of certification. Oh, at, at the beginning of Farm to Trouble, um, Shiloh is struck by how much her hometown which was kind of dying out when she left it, and sort of come back to life by the time she's returned. So did any real life small town revival stories spark this theme? Um, yeah, so when I was a young librarian right out of grad school uh, in my early 20s, I lived, um, one of the reasons I write a lot of Amish books is I lived in Amish country and worked in a library out there. And the town I lived in was in Ohio, but it was a few hours from where I am now. And it was super small. When I moved there, the big news was they got a Walmart and everyone was like super excited. And I had moved from Akron, Ohio, which is not a huge city, but it's a city. <laughs> so I was like, well, this is, this is, this is small. Um, and then I went back a few years later to visit and there's just, it's just like gotten so big compared to what it was it's almost uh, like a suburb it's um 
at the edge of Columbus, Ohio. So it's getting kind of like that urban sprawl in its direction. So it was just a shock to me how much it had changed in just probably like 10 years. So uh, Shiloh was gone 15 years. So I could definitely see that happening. I mean, the options I think for her town were either it was going to go more into decay or it was going to be revived. And um, of course, I, I wanted it to be an adorable, cozy town. So I decided to revive it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that, that revival sort of gets at uh, uh, another source of tension in, in the book. You know, you talked about the tension between the renewable energy folks and the, the, uh, the, the birding folks and then the, the park ranger. Uh, but there's also the tension between the old way, which sort of feels safe and familiar, although perhaps not sustainable, compared to the new way, which is scary and risky, but maybe more sustainable in the long run. So how do you use these, these tensions that aren't necessarily directly related to the, the actual crime happening, but are still there? So how do you use that to help drive your story? Yeah, I think um, they are tensions that uh, for me are easy to write about because I, um, I do write so much, uh, I guess, rural cozy mysteries, <laughs> uh, like out in the country. And they're tensions that I see all the time. So uh, where my husband and I have our farm, um, we can definitely see that all the time. Um, you know, during the political season and stuff, there was definitely, if there was some kind of, you know, initiative for, uh, you know, runoff from farming or something like that um, to keep waterways clean and whatnot. There was always some kind of placard or sign at a different farm that was very anti making the changes. Um, and, you know, you just when you're there during um, especially like a political time, you feel the tension between neighbors because it's you know, both everyone feels so passionate about it. Like they're either like, I want to do it the way I've always done it. This is the way my grandpa did it. Leave me alone. Or there's other people that are like, no, this could be a better way that like my grandchildren can do it. But if I don't make this change, they might lose the farm because it's, it's going to be completely destroyed because we're not taking care of it. So I, I think it's just ingrained in rural America. Uh, um, getting back to the to the bird watching aspect, which I was surprised to learn how how popular uh, bird watching actually is, um, it's, it does play an important part in in your story. So, um, are, first of all, are you a bird watcher? I am. I am not uh, the extent of the bird watcher of. Um, that my brother is or one of my really close friends. So um, I have a very close friend that she uh, kind of inspired the idea of the um, bird watcher portion of the story because she told me about um, the turbines and wind power uh, that's currently being uh, fought against in Lake Erie, which of course is the lake that touches Ohio. Um, uh, the electrical company here wants to put turbines there because wind comes so fast across the lake, but it's also a major uh, migration route for birds um, in the spring and the fall. So it's been fought, like it's going on years. 
Um, so she was telling me about that and I was like, well, and then I, you know, Lake Michigan has all of the great lakes are in the same boat, uh, with, because that's the way songbirds travel. They travel a lot of times across those lakes to get to Canada and back to Mexico and everything. So, um, it really inspired that. And she, and she knows everything you could possibly know about birds. Like she spends every Every day she goes birding and she's a full-time chemistry com- uh, professor at a university I used to work at, but she'll get up at like three in the morning to be in a spot to see a bird that someone reported. It's, I mean, she's like hardcore. I just more do it for fun at my farm. I'm like, oh, there's an Oriole and I'll write it down, but not to the same extent she does it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what are some tips for someone who might be interested in bird watching, either for the sort of, sort of fun aspect of, you know, participating in like the backyard bird count or someone who's more interested in the, the environmental impacts and the, 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 the bigger issues of, of, you know, the, the wind farms versus uh, migratory bird patterns, things like that. Yeah, there are, you know, birding is a huge, 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 um, activity. And, um, what I would say there is a, uh, an app and it's also a website called eBird and people uh that's where a lot of people record their bird counts and you could be anyone from like me who just kind of reports on my farm or i may have like i'll see like a 50 varieties of a bird in a year or someone like my friend that travels uh she goes on bird destination vacations like New Zealand and stuff. So <laughs> where she sees like thousands upon thousands uh, of different varieties and uh, birds and things like that. Uh, so that would be a good place to start. Um, but there's also like at your local library or the bookstores, there are a, a ton of identification bird books. Um, I think I would tell people like, every state has its own bird book, which I think people don't know. So whatever state you're in, go get the little pocket guide and start there. Just go to the, um, if you have a backyard or if you're in an apartment, go to a park or something and like take your little book and you'll be surprised how many different birds there are, um, you know, and how many varieties they are once you start looking. Uh, and I, it's a great hobby. I wish I had more time for it, but um, uh, I would love to go on a destination birding vacation, but <laughs> maybe someday. <laughs> now, uh, another uh, surprising thing in the book was uh, Shakespearean theater, which is it something that many readers expect to find in a mystery set in a small farming town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, just like many places have uh, an amazing variety of birds, many small towns have an amazingly good local regional uh, theater. Uh, Mm -hmm. So what what are some of the joys of local theater? Um, I think the joys of local theater, for one, it gives people that have the love of theater the opportunity to participate when, you know, not everyone is necessarily destined for Broadway or Hollywood or wherever, you know, but they still, it's something they enjoy. Um, I think of it the same way, like I, I, I personally can't act or do anything theater related, but I do like to dabble in visual art. So I'll take, 
an art class. Like I just finished an oil painting class. Um, and it, it brings me joy, even though I know no one is ever, ever going to buy one of my paintings because they're not that good. <laughs> um, so I think it gives that opportunity. And also I think it uh, builds community in, in the area. So like for the town of Cherry Glen to have this theater that people in the region come to, it's, it's a, um, it's a bit of pride and, you know, to say like, we have, you know, even out here in the country, we have the arts, um, uh, which is always something as a writer, uh, that I want to encourage and, you know, we need the arts in school. We need the arts, uh, just in society for, to bring people joy. So in, in one book, we just come on about the environment and a noble energy and gardening <laughs> and Shakespearean theater. Uh, they can also learn about gardening. So you, you give some tips for building a raised garden at the end of From the Trouble. Yeah. Now we're recording this interview right before Christmas. Uh, your book comes out in February, which is the heart of winter. Not yeah. really the time of year people associate with things like gardening and, and growing and farming. But yeah. uh, as you pointed out, a farm's hard work. So I'm assuming that's year-round hard work. So yeah, what are, what are some wintertime tips that maybe urban or suburban gardeners can do now to get ready for spring? Yeah, so um, at the back of those the book where I talk about uh, building the cinder block uh, raised beds, that's something you can do in the winter, you know, as long as it's not actively sleeting or snowing to the point that it's uncomfortable <laughs> to be outside. <laughs> um, but you can at least build the braised beds. So then, um, and put the, um, the straw or grass in it so it can decay over the winter to make the ground, uh, the inside of the bed more fertile. Um, something that we're doing, uh, that we do in the winter, and I actually include it in the second book for the farm tip in the back, but we take um, black plastic sheeting and we have a lot of poison ivy and multiflora rose, which are both invasive species out on our farm that just have taken over since the, um, the big farm that was there kind of went away and it, it was our farm was wild probably for 20 years. So it's, it's a lot of work to get it into a place where you can actually grow something. So we take plastic black sheeting and put it on the fields and leave it there um, for at least eight weeks. And when we take it off, it's just dirt because everything under it was starved of sunlight. Um, and so now we can plow it and um, make something of it and kill all those invasive species. Um, and sometimes we just replant clover or some uh, native species on it, but it'll just, in that case, it won't, it won't be poison ivy and <laughs> which we have so much poison ivy out there, which is awful. So that's what we do. And then we also do a lot of, uh, you know, cutting back and trimming, which is easier to do when the leaves have fallen on um, that sort of thing. Oh, and, and thank you for explaining what those black plastic sheets that I sometimes see spread over people's yeah. fields or floor. Now I know. Yeah. <laughs> now, in between, uh, you know, uh, uh, sort of rehabilitating your farm, you're, you're writing. You, you mentioned that you're working on the second mystery in this series, and you've also written other cozy mysteries. Would you like to tell us about some of your other series? Sure. Um, I've, I'm 
written, I think I have 37 cozy mysteries published, which is crazy uh, to think about. But um, I also write the magic bookshop mysteries uh, for Crooked Lane. I write two series for Kensington. Uh, One is the Amish candy shop mysteries. Um, and the other is the Amish Matchmaker Mysteries. And those are sister series. So they are set in the same Amish town. They just have different uh, protagonists, uh, which was really fun for me because I've only I've written so many Amish mysteries over my career. I, I really didn't want to create another Amish town because you can't really make it that different. <laughs> like they all have, <laughs> they all have a tea shop, they all have a yarn shop. And I was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, you know, I have to think of how to make it different again. So uh, Kensington was very kind when they wanted me to write another Amish series to let me set it in the same setting. Um, and then in addition to that, I write a series for Hallmark, which is, uh, I would call it a cozy private detective. And that's set in the Finger Lakes of New York. Um, and it's the main character is a private detective, but it definitely has a cozy tone um, to the series. Wow, that's an amazing. So how do you keep all of those different series straight at the same time? Um, <laughs> sometimes it can be difficult. It was more difficult when I was writing... Uh, at one time I was writing an Amish series for Berkeley and then another Amish series for a different publisher. This was years ago. And that was a little bit harder uh, because they were both Amish. So like, I'm like, is that, you know, is that Jebediah from that book or is that from the other book? <laughs> so, um, but now the series are so different from each other. It's a um it it makes it easier and I don't ever head jump in the same day so if I'm writing if I'm working on um the farm to table series in a day even if I had an editor say like hey I need edits back tomorrow like I just have to tell them like you're I'm gonna need two days because I need my brain to like shift out of <laughs> out of this character so I can not sound like her when I go into this other character so and all of my publishers have been kind about that there's only been a couple times where they needed like a really sharp turnaround and I really had to like beg like no you don't want me to like have an Amish voice in this magic book so please give me a little more time <laughs> Uh, now, now you mentioned the, the next uh, form to, to table mystery. Uh, can you tell us about that? Yeah, so the second one is called Put Out to Pasture, and it's set um, in October uh, at the uh, Bellamy farm. So uh, the main character's name is Shiloh Bellamy, and she's that the family farm she's trying to save. So uh, Shiloh has this great idea. Well, sometimes Shiloh gets in trouble with her great ideas, but she has a great idea to have like a a fall festival at the farm as a fundraiser so that she can raise money to rehabilitate her cherry orchard. Um, So she has this farm festival and unfortunately kind of the local uh, busybody for the town um, is found dead at the feet of the scarecrow on her on her farm. So Shiloh, of course, has to get involved in the investigation and learns that her her closest friend uh, Christy uh, 
had a very public argument um, with this busybody just a few hours before. So uh, Shiloh being a good friend and also super nosy and curious, uh, definitely pokes her nose in the investigation again. Uh, and then they learn some really interesting stuff. I won't give it away, but the busybody's life has is not what they expected it was once they start digging into her past. So uh, it was really fun to write. I actually turned it in last Tuesday. So it's pretty fresh. (laughs) (laughs) Now, book one from the troubles expected out in February, 2021. Yes. And do you have a projected release date for book two? Uh, It'll probably be February, 2022. So the books are uh, my source book series is they're coming out about a year apart. Um, which I know cozy readers, they want them faster and faster. Um, but I just write, uh, so many series that I was grateful source books give, gives me a little bit more breathing room. <laughs> yes, and they've, they've got plenty of your other books in the meantime, um, to, to keep them going yeah, until the, the yeah, second one comes out. <laughs> definitely. There's, uh, I think I have, uh, five or six uh, books coming out next year. I, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, d- I definitely have, I for sure I have three done. I probably have some, I need to turn it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where can readers connect with you to keep up with, with uh, your, your different series and, and find out more about how your farm's going? Yeah. So I, um, I love, Facebook. So I share probably the most on my author page in Facebook, which is, uh, if you go on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash author Amanda Flower. Um, Or you can just search for Amanda Flower. um, And and it should come up right away. Um, There I share stuff about our farm. Um, I'm not a very good cook. So sometimes I put videos up of me attempting to cook. So people seem to think that's amusing. Um, And also a lot of stuff about um, my cats uh, who are always an inspiration to me. Um, And then uh, my website is amandaflower.com. So you'll have links to everything there. Um, And then the other place you can find me is Instagram where I'm amandaflowerauthor. (laughs) So the author's at the end in that one. And that's actually the Instagram of my two cats, uh, Mr. Tumnus and Reepa Cheeps. So um, my publisher asked me to start an Instagram and I was like, oh my gosh, another social media. I think all authors feel overwhelmed sometimes. So I was like, well, I'm going to make it for the cats and people like it. They love my cats. So <laughs> I think every, and I get to share more pictures of them. So I love it too. <laughs> cats, cats of Instagram are always super popular. So. Yes, yes, yes. So one of the cats is sitting right here while we're doing this interview. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for joining me in the Cozy Corner today, Amanda. And and, uh, thank you to your cat for joining in as well. Thank you so much. I really had a lot of fun. And thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode of the Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. My guest today was Amanda Flower, author of Farm to Trouble, the first farm to table mystery. I'm Alexia Gordon, your host. Until next time, goodbye. Thanks, listeners, for joining me for another episode of The Cozy Corner with Alexia Gordon. 
If you enjoyed the show, please leave a five-star rating or review wherever you listened. Follow the podcast on social media. I'm on Facebook as The Cozy Corner Podcast and Twitter and Instagram as podcast underscore cozy. Now you can support me on Patreon. Become a patron for as little as $3 a month and get a shout out on an episode of The Cozy Corner. Support at higher levels gains access to patron-only posts, thank you gifts, and giveaways. Sign up at www.patreon.com slash author Alexia Gordon. Thank you for your support, and thanks for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you.